Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at everyonesacriticpodcast.com, ihatecritics.net. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Uh, subscribe to the show, rate and review the show. Uh, it, it does help us. Give us a five-star review and let us know about it, and you'll... When it, or you'll get a Blu-ray from Sean. What was the name of the production company? Will Go USA. Yeah, and we did get a review, and I gotta oh, cool. find where I saved it at. All right, uh, the the author of the review is Seneha S E N N I N H A. Ever since my favorite movie reviewer was fired from his radio station in 2020, I haven't even known what's been coming out. I've been listening to this podcast for a month, and it's exactly what I need. The hosts seem to have the same sensibilities that I do, and so far, most of the movies they've liked are the same as me. I'm in. So, nice. thank you. And if you, I don't know if you know who that is, Sean. If not, if you can reach out no. to us on Facebook and get us your address, and we'll send you a Blu-ray. Yeah. So thank you so much for giving us that review, though. Appreciate it very much. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, that really does help us out. There are a lot of movie review podcasts out there. So the more you guys can help us out with the reviews, the better it is for us in the charts as well. Oh, uh, We are on YouTube Weekly. If you want to listen to us, subscribe to our social media outlets, and we will post the link when we go live usually Monday nights around 8 to 9 central time, somewhere in there. And patreon.com slash critics pod, the best way to, critics pod, the best way to help support the podcast. Uh, get yourself a title on the show. We did record two bonus episodes that should be coming out in the next couple months uh, for Patreon. So if you want to hear those, uh, please subscribe to the podcast and you can check those out there. It's unique. Uh, uh, Nirvana, never mind. Yes, that'll be the first uh-huh. one that we do. That'll probably come out sometime this month, probably sooner than later. Uh, and then uh, a little after that, we'll do Metallica, the Black Album. So uh, both albums turn 30, so we thought we'd have some fun with it. Uh, oh, T Public, if you want some of our podcast merch, I'm wearing our Batman versus Jesus shirt right now. Uh, if you want that, head over to tpublic.com and search Critics Pod. Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast, Willem Dafoe. Or go to ihatecritics.net and click on the tpublic link. Let's, we love you, Willem Dafoe. Yes. <laughs> Let's jump right into the podcast. Let me share the screen for the YouTube viewers at home. And start with James Bond, No Time to Die. No Time to Die stars Daniel Craig in his final uh, role as James Bond, allegedly. Uh, I think <laughs> this seems pretty definitive. Um, I won't spoil anything, but oh, he dies. Uh, no time. <laughs> Does he? I don't know. Uh, I've no, heard I've that. The whole thing. I've heard that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but basically, this is uh, just the latest in this franchise that is basically. Uh, just become a series of greatest hits more than anything. The plot here is that uh, Robbie Malik plays a guy who's out to get Spectre, the group run by Christoph Waltz Blofeld. Uh, he's got a beef with them, and uh, 
sort of the Daniel Craig and his group are sort of caught in the middle. Well, Craig's kind of working for both uh, the U.S. and the British. He's not really working as for British for the British intelligence anymore. He's retired, seemingly. Uh, but he's been betrayed by his girlfriend, and uh, he's got rid of her, and he's gone off to Jamaica to be by himself. But uh, Jeffrey Wright finds him and drags him back into the spy wars to track down a, a, doc, a, a scientist who's created some sort of a weapon that can target specific DNA. So like you can assassinate assassinate one person in the room without assassinating other people in the room uh, because you can use their specific DNA to kill them, uh, which is cool. I guess kind of a cool idea. It's not very well executed, but it's, it's a be cool a idea. Tough one to execute, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it is a neat idea if you're to do it right. And uh, yeah, it's, it's got there's some really good things in here like uh, um uh what's her name olivia diarmas i think diarmas she was in the she was in knives out uh she's in this movie she's very very temporarily in this movie but she anna diarmas uh and she she is just awesome in the in the i think the 10 minutes that she's on screen she is funny breath of fresh air she's the only one who's not basically doing just the greatest hits of james bond and I, I really appreciated her i thought she was incredible and i wanted more of her but she's in and out so quickly i guess it's kind of better that she's gone fast because she's like the only happy thing in the movie <laughs> that's the thing about modern james bond is that modern james bond doesn't allow for any joy whatsoever so <laughs> everything life is pain in the james bond universe so they if they'd have kept her around for longer they probably would have ended up torturing her i imagine um <laughs> So the, this whole pl- thing plays out. He's going to grab the scientist. Robbie Malik uh, will eventually reveal himself. Robbie Malik is totally underserved by this. He's he's just getting Hollywood has just beaten the crap out of him. It, it's really it really sucks. You know what they did with him. He he delivered on the on the Queen biopic, but the the rest of the movie was the movie is so terribly put together that it just completely lets him down. You know, that movie with Denzel Washington, where you figure, hey. I'm in a Denzel Washington movie. This is great. And then it turns out terrible. And now this, where he plays arguably the least interesting and uh, the least screen-timed villain in the Bond franchise. Uh, I mean, the, the time that he has on screen is incredibly limited. And he... And you, you'd think that... I mean, this is... He gets the big, you know, kill, uh, the bad guy talking scene. And it's more about him doing the the classic child in danger trope than it is about him actually, you know, delivering exposition about his plan or whatever. Oh man, this movie isn't bad. Like it's not terrible. Like it's probably the best of the Daniel Craig James Bond movies. But I have a pretty low opinion of all of those. So I mean, that's not not really high praise for me. Uh, uh, Kerry Takanaga. I'm I'm so I'm so missing this up. Uh, the, the new director is a really good director. He directed Beasts of No Nations, and uh, he directed uh, the, fir- the first season of True Crime, which is probably the only good season of that show. Uh, he's a talented guy, and and he directs action very well, but there's a very mechanical feel to everything. And like I said before, there's a lot of the greatest hits going on here. You know, he's going to say, Bond, James Bond, and he's, they, they're going to find a clever way to set that up. And then he's got the Aston Martin, and he's got... Uh, you know, just all this, all these callbacks to 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 the past of James Bond, and it's it, it really is like a classic rock band just rolling in and, and playing the greatest hits over and over again. 
And when you got when you're in a universe where we've seen Jason Bourne and we still have Mission Impossible, James Bond feels ridiculously redundant in this in this way. He does because as great as Daniel Craig is as an actor, he's never he's not nearly as magnetic as Tom Cruise, and he's not nearly as exciting as as Jason Bourne. Uh, and I, it just he feels like a third wheel, like the third wheel. He's just redundant in that way in this in this genre. How did it do? Was it massive? Fifty six million, oh. which is kind of low on the low end of what they were expecting. Uh, others were predicting somewhere between seventy five and eighty, but uh, I don't know. Maybe coming out the week after Venom might not have been the best thing for this movie. Well, I'm surprised this wouldn't destroy Venom, if I'm being honest, just because it seems like the Bond movies usually do well. That's why they keep making them. Uh, I thought they were all greatest hit movies. I mean, doesn't he say <laughs> that? Are. Doesn't he say that in every movie? Jane Bond, every James time. Bond, Shaken yeah. Not Stirred, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he's, it's just the Rolling Stones. <laughs> in fairness, the Rolling Stones are awesome. But well, The Rolling Stones are awesome, but the, the James Bond's not. But nevertheless... Yeah. Uh, they're grand fun- he's he's grand funk railroad <laughs> well they're awesome too though <laughs> i uh, i i've always hated james bond movies my the one i like the most is the very first one with daniel craig though so yeah but again my bar is even lower than yours i think because i hate all of them so. I love I love a view to a kill, but not for any any reason because it's good. It's hilariously terrible, <laughs> and, and Grace Jones is just the best thing about it. Because I've I've often told the story about yeah. how my sister and I still say to, to check the back seat for Grace Jones because <laughs> that scene is hilarious. Yeah, I just don't. One, I'm not a. I like the Bourne movies, but I think a lot of that is there's nothing other. I mean, I guess there's a book, but there's no other than the book. There's nothing from the past because I don't like the Mission Impossible movies either. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I guess I like the realism of the the Daniel Craig one. I shouldn't say the realism. The lack of joy. I think that's something that appeals to me. Uh, and I mean, I think that's honest to God why I like the first one so much. But then I got bored after that, and I just don't care. There's just nothing fun. Yeah, and yeah, and I, like the born, it's it's with the born movies. It's a story as well that matters. It's not just all stunts and shit, mm-hmm. which is really all I feel about with Mission Impossible. It's just like, what's Tom Cruise going to do next? don't really care about the movie i just want to see him <laughs> hang out of a plane again but i i think they're they're constantly inventing something with that franchise they're constantly coming up with new and exciting things to do and they're constantly upping the ante on on their their plots and there it's it gets to be very say, involving if you like that i would say That's they're up in the ante in the action maybe i don't know i I guess I don't care enough, so it's not fair for me to even make an opinion. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just—I don't know. And then I did what hear I, he dies this in this. Is, I don't this, even know. This movie is two and a half hours long. This movie is two and a half hours long, <laughs> which is way too long for this. But that's been the- on top of that. You have the you have these whiny Bond fans, you know, talking about how woke culture is ruining James yeah, Bond, that and that too. just makes me. That just makes me roll my eyes even more. Like, just I don't, why can't Bond have sex with girls anymore? 
he has plenty of sex, guys. He's just he's just with the same woman, oftentimes. Uh, <laughs> but then again, like I said, they've just instead of like uh, treating that like it's a, like instead of treating people like people, it's everything is a commentary on the past. Like you see how see how good we are now. He's he's uh, he only loves one woman, uh, and and. and uh, <laughs> He doesn't rape anymore. (laughs) Congratulations, James, on not raping anybody. Great. Well, in fairness, (laughs) from the get-go, they were trying to do as close as possible. I mean, you're never going to be based in reality, but because Bourne existed and, you know, they were not trying to do the corny over the top or they were trying to take the corn down a little bit. (laughs) So they were doing it wasn't just with the sex. It was with everything. They were trying to give it a different approach. It's you brought in a real director, Sam Mendes, early on. So it's not it's been going on this entire series. So I, I don't think it's anything new. I don't think it's a strategic move to satisfy woke culture. I think it's just simply they're trying a different approach with Bond. In the end it's kind of boring, I think, more than anything. And I tell you, I, the the boring, boring is a good way to put it because I mean, it's got one of those scenes in it, and it's so long. This scene is so long, but it's one of those scenes where Bond is going up uh, this staircase, and out of every door pops another faceless goon. It's just pop, 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 pop and they just fall. <laughs> None of them can even get a shot off. They just pop, 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 and they're down. Up another flight of stairs. Pop, 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 down. Here comes another one, and another one, another one. Like 15, 20, 25, 30 bodies just piling up, and and nothing. It's like, <sighs> it just gets tired. You just grow tired after a while. If I ever, if I never see that scene again in a movie, I'll, I'll be very happy. Because I've seen that. I mean, how many times, how many movies do we have to see the, the good guy who never misses and the bad guys who always miss? Well, they keep making Bond movies for decades now, so <laughs> are they going to keep this franchise going, or are they going to start with a new Bond? Uh, they're going to, I think the the fan theory that's going around is that the it's going to be revealed that James Bond is a title and and not a name. It's like oh, he like wasn't double, actually. It'll be 007 that sticks on, but it's not necessarily Bond, or, or it could it's, still- the, the James Bond is a code name that gets handed down. It's, it's the, it thus bringing all the James Bond movies into the same canon. But they have this. So the bad guys' names get handed down too. <laughs> some of these Maybe. are repeated bad guys, aren't they? Uh, yeah, Blofeld. Um, uh, Rami Malek's not. Well, right. But Blofeld, I I know that name. I don't even know anything about Bond. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> it's just a fan theory, but yeah, there is also another 007 in this movie, and and she's fine. She does a good job. Uh, That's why world culture is mad. <laughs> <laughs> now I get it. Don't agree with it, <laughs> but now I know. Why are there girls in my spy movie? Why? And they're not showing their boobs. Ugh. <laughs> that was a perfect impression of them. Like that was a perfect. <laughs> no, she's really good, and it's unfortunate though that she's just kind of the killjoy throughout. And she's uh, the the few times she does get to show off or 
okay, but like Anna Diarmas comes in and blows everybody else off the screen. <laughs> Is her name Jamie Bond? <laughs> no. Okay. I don't. I was just asking. I don't know. Wow. So maybe they'll just keep keep it going with her. <laughs> I mean, the the end credits do say James Bond will return. Now, I heard it said 007 will return. Oh, did it? I, I didn't actually look at it. <laughs> well, I didn't see it. I'm just going off of a podcast that I heard talk about it. So, I don't know. I really don't care. I'm never going to see him unless, like, for, like, yeah, I'm really, there's no reason for me to see him. My son doesn't even really care about Bond. And it's funny is that there's going to be all these right wing websites taking credit for ah woke James Bond failed because of us. <laughs> yeah, congratulations! You killed your own franchise. Way to go! <laughs> God, people are so stupid. <clears throat> I mean, I mean, I'll say Hollywood needs to do a better job of making something like that more organic and I don't know how they do in this movie with it it sounds like it was fairly organic but there's times where you just kind of roll your eyes because you can tell they're doing it for marketing purposes I didn't I didn't feel it like the, there's the uh, Bridgers did a the dialogue up on this and she did it the, the dialogue is better than it's been in the other movies uh, nothing notable no big notable clangers in there um, and Lashana Lynch uh, the new 007 she even goes as far as to give up her 007 title to give it back to Bond as a you know welcome back to to the spy stuff but uh, so there's you know there's really not a lot for these people to be upset about but since they're not even seeing the movie they'll still be upset <laughs> well and like and it's fair as much as I'm not a Star Wars fan I, the Star Wars right wing people were pissed off for the same reason and I never really even noticed all the woke things they were quote unquote doing so I I got it a little bit in the Avengers here and there but for the most part there was enough going on that it, I could move on it didn't bother me but I, I didn't notice it in Star Wars it doesn't sound like it really exists here it just people make up their minds without seeing the movie <laughs> yeah really pretty much that, oh, 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 trust me all these right wing guys came up with their complaints about James Bond well before they ever saw the movie. Two two years ago when Lashana Lynch was announced as being in James in the next James Bond movie, they they were they were already uh gathering their pitchforks and coming up with their complaints. Yeah, that's just what's wrong with opening up to the other demographic? <laughs> Make it a little bit bigger. <laughs> you I thought the right wing was supposed to admire a good business decision, but I don't know. That's all hypocrisy. All right, let's move on because I really I've stretched this out longer than I actually care about. So <laughs> forgive me. Uh, South of Heaven, my favorite title of the year. South of Heaven stars Jason Sudeikis and Evangeline Lilly uh, in the story of a man who is getting out of prison uh, just in time for the last year of his longtime girlfriend's life. Evangeline Lilly's character has. Uh, lung cancer and she's been given about 12 months to live at most uh and uh jason sudeikis has luckily been given uh uh, parole to get out and he promises to spend that entire time making her you know giving her the best life possible for while she's still here 
but this guy happens to have the worst luck on the planet <laughs> because once he gets out, he gets a uh, uh, parole officer by, uh, played by Shea Wiggum, who immediately tries to draw him into a criminal enterprise and uh, uses blackmail to get him there. But even then, something else happens that uh, is completely unexpected and uh, throws the movie in an entirely different direction that invites uh, in Mike Coulter, who plays a, uh, a big time gangster drug dealer who hides behind legitimate businesses and looks like a legitimate businessman, but he's also just a big drug dealer. Uh, and this, where that goes from there is, is really unique and different. This movie is really, really good. Uh, the, uh, I loved the way that this movie kept upping the ante. Like you thought for a while that the Shea Wiggum thing was going to be the plot. And that would be, you know, kind of a cat and mouse thing maybe between him and Shea Wiggum. But then, I also I get to that point nearly halfway through the movie, like, wait a minute, where's Mike Coulter? He hasn't come in yet. <laughs> and then the way they bring him in is so dangerous. Your risk it's so risky in that moment to go where they go with this story because you risk losing people's investment in Jason Sudeikis' character, because this is a really, really questionable uh, situation that he's in, uh, that he creates for himself. Uh, and then when Mike Coulter comes in, he brings this whole new vibe to the movie. This is a big change. And he has this scene eventually where he and Evangeline Lilly are together. And it is absolutely electric. The two of them, Evangeline Lilly and Mike Coulter, have so much astonishing chemistry. Just, that scene just blew my mind. Great, that was. And, and meanwhile, there's this other plot going on with, with Sudeikis and a little boy that <laughs> that is filled with surprises and weirdness that ends in a, in a most shocking way. And again, they, he can, the, this director is brilliant at finding just ways to really continuously up the ante on this story in ways that, uh, very, that risk you being invested in it because it could grow tiresome or it could, be, you know, could seem contrived. How could somebody have this kind of bad luck? Yeah, I agree with you for the most part. I liked it quite a bit. One kind of, and I go back and forth because I kind of did get pulled out of the movie very, like the towards the end, and uh, it was just Mike Coulter's character. The way he comes into this movie is so. I mean, it's memorable. It's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> But then yeah. the character kind of centers, and and I don't know. I, I just the level of danger that he comes in with seems to go away, just just out the window, and it it just there's something consistent there that or that wasn't consistent for me that I that kind of pulled me out a little bit, where I was just like, well, I wasn't necessarily buying it. I guess would be hmm. where I'm at. Because, uh, because it was. I mean, I mean, this guy. What happens? <laughs> I don't. I mean, you can't really say what happens uh, without spoiling it. But it's it's a big deal. It's very. It's evil. <laughs> and then, and I know he's living a double life because he's looking like a legit businessman and all this. But really, he's a gangster. And so I get that. Uh, and I suppose I buy what Jason Sudeikis did because I, I mean, cause he's, he's got nothing to, I mean, he has to, I guess it's a bold, right. I, I don't I don't have a problem with what Sudeikis does, but I just, 
as much as I like the scene you're talking about with Mike Coulter and Evangeline Lilly, I I just feel like that darkness had kind of faded away, and I don't. I just I don't. I wasn't like mad, but I was questioning it the entire time towards the end there, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Because it just. He, he never goes back to that spot where he was when he's introduced in the movie. You know, hmm. he's introduced so hard and heavy and then just kind of, I got it's so hard to talk about. <laughs> that said, if I accept that everything else is perfect. I mean, the ending is quite great. Uh, once I accept that, uh, <sighs> I mean, the stuff with the Sedegas and the little boy, the way that ends is pretty phenomenal. I, I, I mean, it's a, it's a hell of a movie with just one thing where I find myself questioning stuff. But other than that, which isn't enough to make me dislike it, uh, I think it's worth watching. I'm curious what other people think, too. Mm. I found this movie to be exciting. I, I love the chances that this director takes, the risks that he takes. And you, introducing a character like Mike Coulter's character halfway into the movie is something that every screenwriting class in the world will tell you not to do. Uh, and I, I just, I love that he took that chance. I was questioning it as I watched it. And then as he developed it and it went along, I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> that's bold, you know? <laughs> and I, like I said, everybody will tell you not to do that. And he did it and he pulled it off and it was, it was amazing to me, but then he kept finding new ways to, to, Okay, what do we do now? We like we we're in a corner. Where do we go? We'll go here. <laughs> he finds another way, and it just again, just over and over again. I really was just on the edge of my seat throughout, just really enjoying the where where this was going, and and I bought in on on Jason Sudeikis, which is this is not a typical Jason Sudeikis role. Uh, in but I thought he really pulled it off. People, uh, I I had this really irritating thing happen where I was reading somebody who's a pretty good critic talking about this movie and he says well you know jason sudeikis is john wick i'm like that is so reductive and insulting there is nothing john wick about this not to say no. that john wick is bad i love john wick john wick is exciting it's incredible gunplay that's not this movie this not movie's got a, a, got a much different vibe going on this is a very serious drama happening here whereas john wick is not a serious drama yeah, that's a terrible comparison. There's the feel. There's no. There are two totally different feels. I, I I couldn't disagree more with that statement. Uh, and one thing about Jason Sudeikis is, and I haven't watched this show on Apple, and I know, you know, I've heard I've read a couple critics saying don't call this Jason Sudeikis go serious because he's been doing it for a while, I guess, on TV. But he does have a Leslie Nielsen like quality to him, where no matter what he does, you tend to want to laugh. But it it's not in this movie, so yeah. I I appreciate them make, finding a way to make that not exist because that's really impressive. Because he, I mean, he just had that thing. You know, if he delivered a line serious in movies, sometimes you would just laugh because he just that's what he's always done, and it, it, that's really impressive to me that that doesn't exist in this movie. But they, but it, he manages to do that without, like, you know, he doesn't go full, you know, badass. He's just he he manages to find a way to retain the likability without being overly goofy. Aside right. from a couple scenes with the kid, which are just, you know, him 
just being just being him, just yeah. being a natural good person, and uh, and their their interplay is you know is very is kind of funny because that kid is really funny. That kid is really sharp. He's a sharp performer, and, uh, and Sudeikis is just keeping up with him. Well, and it's funny because they play it straight. They they're yeah. not playing it for laughs, and that's why it ends up being funny. Uh, yeah, it's. I definitely recommend it, and I'm curious what other people think about, especially what kind of took me out of it. But at the same time, to your point about they back themselves into a corner, and when they find a way out, it's not every time they do it, it it's such a left turn or what? Not even a left. It's just so out there that you. It's hard to even think of where they would go. You know, it's just like, oh, that's a okay. Mm-hmm. Let's see where this goes. <laughs> uh. And I don't know. It's a neat little movie. And quite frankly, if they stuck with uh, Wiggum's character, that would have been. It definitely would have lowered the ceiling on how good this could have been. Because that's now you got a pretty typical movie, uh, what we've seen before. But making that bold choice allows you to. It allows for great failure. Don't get me wrong. But then it raises your ceiling for potential. And. if nothing else, I love the fact that it felt original, and because yeah. that's something that we've been complaining about for a few years now. So uh, true. And I mean, there's I a lot of. The, go ahead. I think the Shea Wiggum thing was a was a def, uh, a definite choice. The way he plays Absolutely. that role, so the it is so it's so great and on the top, and 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 then removing him the way they do is so awesome. Like that scene, that series of scenes was so cool. <laughs> I really enjoyed that a lot because I hated that character. The that scene between Wiggum and and Sudeikis early on, where Sudeikis is trying to just be trying to say the right thing, and this guy will not accept any of the right answers. <laughs> Everything's the wrong answer to him, and it's just you could not find two people on the on opposite sides. That's so well written, and. And well, and back to your comment right off the bat about just the bad luck Sudeikis has mm-hmm. in a lesser movie, which a lot of movies have done. This is it's just a comedy of you know bad luck and errors. You know, uh, Ben Stiller's in a lot of these movies where you just have bad luck, and it it just doubles down on the person. Sudeikis keeps making decisions that you don't see in movies like the, or you don't see in movies really that. Yeah allow him to stand up to his bad luck over and over again and uh and i guess that could be somewhere well sometimes why i have again i don't want to say i have trouble buying it i at, at times i question things it's not i was never fully taken out of the movie but because of that it uh it's just different so yeah it, it there's nothing redundant about it and I mean, bold is a good word because there's definitely a lot of bold choices made throughout. Uh, I definitely think people should see it, and it's available to watch right now. Weird coincidence. <clears throat> Just point this out. Shea Wiggum, this is not the first time he starred in a movie called South of Heaven. He actually starred in a movie called South of Heaven back in 2008, which is a completely different movie. <laughs> yeah, I saw pictures of that when I was looking up this one. Uh, I mean, it's a cool title. I mean, obviously, Slayer had an album called South of Heaven. It's, I mean, I think of Hell. Uh, uh, but I, it's 
I, that's what's even cooler is that that cheesy title. As much as I like it, it's definitely cheesy. But when you put it in this movie, it's not. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I don't know. It just considering seem- all the com- the complex things at play, like her dying and where they end up, and yeah, right. It's there's just more depth to the title in this. No, a hell of a movie, and I I definitely recommend people watching it. Uh, you told me to check this one out, but I didn't. Uh, ran out of well, I had to work, and I didn't. It's hard to read while I'm not <laughs> necessarily looking at the screen. So I watched two Kevin Smith movies and my cousin Vinny. <laughs> uh, Detention. <laughs> Detention is a uh, Taiwanese horror film that was made back in uh, 2019 and is now getting an American release, uh, courtesy of Decanalog. And it tells a, sto- a horror movie story, but it's also telling a historic story about uh, the times of uh, when Taiwan was under martial law, one of the longest lasting martial law situations in, in world history. Uh, second only, I think, to gosh, I can't remember now, but there's one other country that's actually been under martial law longer than Taiwan. Uh, In this martial law, you're not allowed to speak in any way against the government, against the government and any type of uh, criticism of the government is is basically considered for the death penalty. Uh, In this uh, in this environment, uh, this uh, group of school kids and two teachers are are reading books that they shouldn't be reading. They're hiding out in a a, uh, closet essentially uh passing back and forth these banned books and writing them down you know copying out of them and and reading them and taking in these uh sort of left-wing socialist ideas that they're not supposed to be hearing um when that gets found out the movie takes a, a very weird and dark and horror turn because the suddenly everything the scene becomes degraded and the school is empty and and there, it seems like something has happened, like this massive apocalypse has taken place. And now there's a giant monster running around and it's uh, gobbling up students and specifically gobbling up the students who were learning about socialism and, and reading banned books. Uh, there's one female character who has she's not in the group, but she finds out about the group sort of accidentally. And she's also kind of in love with the the male teacher who's involved and they've got kind of a romantic relationship going on meanwhile there's this the boy who accidentally showed her this book also has a thing for her so there's kind of a love triangle happening there that's going to play a very important role in the turn of this movie and her role is so well crafted and so well put together that she really the with the entire story turning on what she does you really buy into to to why she does it and it's it's kind of villainous, but at the same time, she's she's coming around on being a better person because of it, even in this very strange situation. Uh, this is a, a terrific movie. Uh, this is ba- actually based off of a video game, which uh, carried the same story and uh, did, did the same thing, told this very important uh, commentary on, on martial law and Taiwanese history within this horror movie story. Uh, the monsters are really great. Some of the CGI is a little bit rubbery, but uh, and it's got a couple of those rather, you know, one of those least callbacks to the ring where, you know, there's the, the girl with the long hair in front of her face and the pale. <laughs> it's still kind of crazy. It still kind of works. You know, that's a visual that's probably always going to work for some people. Uh, yeah. And it kind of works here. Uh, and, and contextually, I guess, when you're talking about who that girl is, it certainly does play 
uh, into this, the scarier aspects of this. That uh, it's it's a really good movie, and I'm 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 glad I got to see it. It sounds amazing. <clears throat> Again, sounds wholly original. Like a really cool idea that Hollywood would find a way to ruin. <laughs> Very serious story, but it, you know, it's also a horror movie. Like they they the horror elements are right. are big and broad and. You know, they're like monsters, like literal monsters in the movie. And it's also telling a story about actual Taiwanese history and and important lessons that were learned. And the, you know, the beauty of poetry uh, in the end is kind of a part of it as well. And I just love that. Well, it's cool to do. I, I love when, you know, there's actual monsters in a movie and the movie itself is actually phenomenal. And so it's like no matter how childish whatever you want to call this is they find a way to make it matter and make it work and i i, I wish i was in a position to have watched this yesterday uh, i'll have to give it a shot when i get a chance because it looks really good uh prisoners of the ghost land <laughs> yes our nicholas cage winning streak is over uh <laughs> Prisoners of the Ghost Land is a terrible movie about a man who uh, is a bank robber and he gets thrown in prison. And then uh, the daughter or girlfriend or I don't know, some important governor in this strange sort of Asia America hybrid that's going on in the future. He takes Cage out of prison and forces him to go into this ghost land to retrieve his girlfriend daughter played by Sophia Butella uh, to in order to control Cage he puts him in this suit that's covered in bombs and there are bombs on his arms there are bombs on his legs there's bombs on his testicles uh, and if he gets so if he puts a hand on Sophia Butella and he gets excited his balls will explode <laughs> or if he gets angry, his arms will explode. Yeah, yeah. If he hits somebody, his arm. If he hits her, his arms will explode. Um, this movie is so bad. I, I just this is uh, this is Cage at his absolute worst. And the thing of it is, it's not him overacting. It's pretty much him underacting in this situation, which is kind of strange because he spends more time in this movie laying on his face on the ground. That he does actually doing something. I mean, you're the poster of this movie has Nicolas Cage with a giant samurai sword, and you're you get to see a little bit of that, like him him as a fighter, but not really all that much, and certainly not nearly enough to be satisfying or cool. Like it's, most of the first half of the movie, he's just laying on the ground, and <laughs> I was just I hated this so much. There's a lot of big bold production design in this. But there's never any explanation as to why. It's just somebody. This is like some teenager's fever dream of a comic book. <laughs> it's like I I got to I got to put Nicolas Cage in my manga and put it on the big screen. Like okay, great, good for you, I guess. <laughs> if you like that sort of thing, maybe this is your movie. I am not a fan. <laughs> well, that's the thing is I think more than it being bad is it's just not for us because. When Mad Max came out, Fury Road, we all liked that, but we went back and watched the other Mad Max movies, and we just didn't get it. Like, we tried, and I don't know. I, I just I don't get the appeal of those movies, and this is very much in those in the vein of those. 
Uh, you'd never see Mad Max really do anything cool. He's not on the screen half the time. Uh, and to me, this is like Mad Max meets Escape from New York. Uh, just some post-apocalyptic thing where he's got a mission to do. He's got bombs attached to him. If he doesn't get it done, he'll die. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, I, I appreciate the over-the-top set design. I appreciate everything, how seriously I took it uh, for is i mean they weren't it wasn't like let's just make a camp movie they were just like we're really gonna try to make this as cool as possible and i can see an audience that would find this cool uh i just don't think we're it uh, no it's I'm you know, certainly not <laughs> i hate reading the wildest movie i've ever made and i think that's nicholas cage that apparently said that but mandy is way wilder than this was oh absolutely uh, and Manny's a really good movie, <laughs> right? But again, and that's but people are going to hate that one as well because it's weird and different. And uh, mm-hmm. so, I, and I, I get it. I just part of me was like, we're going to see Nicolas Cage's balls, and he's going to throw testicle bombs, and I was kind of excited about all that. And none of that happens. So like, much promise and so little delivery. And I. I suppose if I didn't have that opinion going in, maybe I would have liked it more. I don't. I doubt it though. It's just not. It's just not a movie I'm into. I don't. I, Fury Road was cool just because of. I. I don't know. That was just a full blown action masterpiece. Everything else, <laughs> Mad Max, <laughs> bores the piss out of me. And this, I, I think I liked this more than Ma- the other Mad Max movies, if I'm being honest. Uh, but. Yeah. I, it's not a movie. I'm not going to go back and watch this I guess I probably again. do as well, but... Uh, I really don't like the Mad Max movies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will say I w- I'm tickled by the fact that uh, while I was watching this movie, I actually uttered the phrase, testicles don't work that way. <laughs> well, and even the meme where he yells testicles, when you watch that in context, it's way less funny. Yeah. And that's not fair. Then the meme should have never happened, and instead you get a typical good Nicolas Cage delivery. Uh, but because of the meme, it totally ruins it. <laughs> so I, I don't know. It, it's, I guess calling it disappointing is fine. I just I don't think it's for us more than anything. I don't think there's really anything bad about it. It just mm-hmm. isn't entertaining to me. Can you, my, imagine, can you imagine how uncomfortable it would it, if you took this outfit and these testicles to be what you see in this movie? How it would be even more uncomfortable to ha- just have to wear that, let alone to have a bomb go off on one of your testicles. <laughs> just the separation alone would be too too much un- too much discomfort for me. <laughs> well, and that's the if they did it right, they don't. <laughs> I mean, your comment of they don't testicles don't work that way is <laughs> accurate, and the way the suit was set up, the testicles wouldn't even be there. It'd be like this hip or something like that. Right. Uh, but it's cool to show in a blown up ball on the ground. <laughs> I guess. Uh. And at no point is it like, are you like grabbing yourself? Like, oh, that hurts. So, you know, you're not feeling his pain. You're just no, kind of it's. it's- it's far funnier to talk about even than it is to see. Right. But I mean, the, again, the rest, like the whole ghost land, it's a pretty impressive set for a, whatever this movie costs. 
I can't imagine it was a ton. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll give it that, and I'm surprised we talked this long about it. But I'm not going to call it a a miss. I'm just going to call it not for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to call it one of my top ten worst movies of the year. Yeah, I'm not going to do that because <laughs> I don't want to hate something I don't think is for me. If there was something like structurally wrong with it, I would, but I, I just don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just blah. Uh, let's move on to our classic. God told me to. God told me to is a 1976 movie from director Larry Cohen, who's uh, uh, known for this show because uh, we did the stuff on this show and he directed the stuff. Oh. Uh, he was also directed the Maniac Cop movies. Uh, and the stars Tony Lobianco as a cop who is investigating a series of crimes uh, where every time they seem to get to the person who committed the crime, that person says, God told me to. And he seems to be the only cop who thinks this is notable. <laughs> For some reason, every other cop is like, so? They all said that. So all crazy people say that. After each of these murders, <laughs> you don't think there's something there? Nevertheless, he's the only one who sees something in that and uh, begins to investigate from that perspective. Um, this is a very confusing movie at times. Things seem to happen where it's like, when did that happen? At a certain point, Tony Lobianco's character is suspended from the police, but we're never told why or when that happened. <laughs> like, I'm watching the movie and the, the, he like has an argument with his with his boss, but the, no, there's nothing about him being suspended. They're just saying like, you're pursuing the wrong thing, you know, get, get your act together. And then the following scene is suspended cop does this. And I'm like, when was he suspended? <laughs> when did that happen? Should you have told us that? But honestly though, there are aspects of this that are really good, like really good. Like the opening scene of this, uh, of this shooter who is on top of a water tower in New York city is tense and exciting and well shot. Like the chaos is exciting. And even when Tony Lobianco is climbing up the side of that water tower and talk to him, I almost felt like, I don't know Tony Lobianco that well. Maybe this guy's going to shoot him. Like I was kind of, I was kind of on, on edge with that. And the, the way they set that scene up, the, the, the production design of that, the, the, the camera choices and that are really smart. It, it really does up the tension of that moment. And each subsequent crime kind of has that feel to it. Like the scene, there's a scene where Andy Kaufman is one of the killers in the movie. And he's a cop who's marching in a parade. And uh, Lobby Yanka is told by somebody that he's going to shoot a cop is going to do a mass shooting at a parade. And that, that is a really tense series of scenes. The, 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 the way he builds that is really strong. And then the payoff is a shootout and we get the line. God told me to. And it's like that, that, that build is great. There's a certain point though, where you want that to, to be the story and you want there to be a payoff to that. But then it goes in a different direction, in a slightly more confusing and awkward direction involving aliens and virgin birth. And uh, that that sort of loses the plot for me. I, I want to like this movie more than I do because I think there's exciting elements to it. But I think it's kind of a miss because th that that alien stuff just doesn't pay off enough for me. Yeah, you asked. I saw it before you did. And you asked me what I thought. It was hard to. There's a good movie in here. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and and even with the virgin birth alien thing if you have to go that way i really don't know how you make that work but definitely the way they did it 
like just the whole brother thing. I don't know that that I didn't like that at all. Uh, I don't know. I, I this is kind of like a movie I want to see remade and then properly re like remade, but with with the ability to change the story. Because I yeah. I mean one that warning label is real. That's on the cover of this poster. Those scenes are intense. In the 1976, I could imagine that being almost too real. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, that's a very earned warning label that they put on the front of the movie. And what you could do with that today is even, you really don't even have to do much different. Uh, just more modern. It's not about up in the ante. Uh, just if you could find a way to cut the fat and then direct, find a place to go with this. There's a, like, an amazing movie there, but it's there is. This was so this frustrating for me because I wanted I wanted the whole God told me to thing to actually pay off, and it really doesn't. Like they once they once they shift gears into the alien plot, we lose the whole God told me to part of this, and it never the Richard Lynch character who's at the center of of the evil that's taking place never pays off like there's never given we're never given a good solid reason why he decided to do that why he was having people uh do these mass killings and i wanted to know how those what his plan was and i wanted that to have a big payoff and it's just not there and and instead we've got this alien plot and virgin births and these scenes that and toby Lo, tony lobianca having a uh, an alien background as well that it just doesn't play nearly as interesting as the God told me to stuff. Well, in, I mean, the Virgin Burrs and the, the alien, it flirts with a God thing. Mm-hmm. But when you throw the Tony Lobianco character into that story, part of the story too, that's really what took me out of it. Uh, I think it, what they were going for, it, there's an element of what they're going for in, in the, in the pool house, in the pool room scene where he goes mm-hmm. into this pool room and he starts to use the power himself, and I, you know, the, this is a, an element of him being uh, influenced or you know, kind of giving in to his his own sort of darkness in this way. Uh, but I don't think that's set up well enough. I don't no. like, like that. Doesn't it? Doesn't feel like because he's killing bad guys and for forcing these bad guys to kill themselves, and it doesn't have the impact of you know the innocent person suddenly turning in evil and like. I mean, there's a great scene here where he's he's confronting a guy who's just murdered his entire family, and the description of the murder is is better than actually seeing the murders themselves. The way that Lobianco plays that scene with that opposite that guy who's just so serene and so calm and so committed to the idea that God told him to do this, and the way he describes what he did to his family is so much more chilling than actually seeing it. And that movie is really good. And I wanted that movie and I didn't get it. Yeah, I have a story. I'm, I can't decide if I want to tell it on the podcast or not. Uh, somebody that... I'll just keep it hot. I won't go into detail how I know this person, but they're kind of important to what I do. Uh, just out of the blue today, I started talking about reincarnation and what happens when you die and how once you die, you sit in the, you have to kind of wait in heaven for 400 years and you get reincarnated. But if you kill yourself, you come right back. Uh, you have 28 things in your life that we all got to accomplish and then you can move on to the next world. And this wasn't a matter of opinion. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. It was a matter of fact. <laughs> wow. And it was telling, oh, if you just look at history, clearly you can tell. And the reason I know is I saw the light when I was 16 and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just kind of sitting there going, trying to like, find jokes to make when I can without being insulting. Uh-huh. Uh, just kind of being like, sounding disappointed when oh so hell doesn't exist that sucks kind of like <laughs> uh but but it would just this is like a smart person who is important to things that i have to do and all of a sudden it just i out of I, the, I can't just, i can't believe josh would do would say something like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's but i mean you just that's why people never cease to amaze me, I guess. Because uh, it's just like, yeah, it's totally blew my mind. And that just talking about this movie kind of brought that back into my head. Uh, I just, I don't know. I, I, I like the idea. Like I'm all for if you want to make a God in this movie and make it work, but there's, it's just too convoluted. Let me just pitch something here for you. Like, wouldn't it be fascinating if Lobianco, he's, he's this character who is deeply religious and he's following up all these murders where people are saying, God told me to. And then he reaches the end, meets the actual God and God says, yes, I did tell them to. <laughs> and he's got to deal with the fact that God's actually needed this to happen for a reason. Like he's setting something up for the future that you can't see. And this, these tragedies needed to happen in this way, in this order. And as sad and horrible as it is, I had to do it because down the road, this needs to happen. But taking that character who's deeply faithful and having him to co- confront a God who does orchestrate terrible things to happen kind of forcing him to confront his own faith that's an exciting idea oh it's very biblical too like that's because that's kind of happened yeah uh in some of the biblical stories you could definitely yeah that would be that would be earth shattering for him for as a character it would you know i would that would be exciting to watch yeah because at that point what do you do you obviously you can't beat god right so uh that would be i'd that's a again they're just you trim the fat and took this in the direction like that and you'd have a fantastic movie like a really great you could even make that without aliens <laughs> yeah I suppose <laughs> if you had to without aliens there's no boobs in the movie so what are you going to do <laughs> <laughs> that is true as well uh yeah, I I wanted to like it. I was trying, uh, and there's enough. I mean, I definitely think it's a miss, like you said. But I, 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 there's part of me that's fascinated by it and the idea, and and just having this discussion of where, what it could have been. Yeah, well, because like you said, there's so many good things in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the scene I described before is a really great scene. The Andy Kaufman scene is a really great scene. Like he knows what he's doing. He's got a great idea here, but he's rushing through that idea to get to a dumber idea. <laughs> right. But it's fun to say I saw something new. Yeah. Next week we've got. Uh, let me get my screen back here stop share for now we've got the last duel that's the matt damon movie right 
Yeah, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Apparently, they kissed in this movie. They wrote the movie. Ben Affleck's mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was like Adam Driver. Yeah, Adam Driver's in the movie too. Oh, cool. Uh, Halloween Kills. <laughs> See that on Peacock. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah, I mean, I get. I don't know why. I don't know why I find that weird that it's on Peacock and not HBO or <laughs> Netflix or whatever. <laughs> right. Because uh, that's less weird to me, but yeah. That's also in theaters. And then you're going to see The Blazing World and Bergman Island, and if either of those are great, maybe I'll try to watch one as well. Our classic is the A24 film St. Maud, and who knows, maybe Lamb will end up here. <laughs> that would be nice. That would be very nice. <laughs> I want to see Lamb so bad. I've se- I've seen so many amazing reviews. I, have, I can't just, even imagine what it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And while I'm going to see Halloween Kills, I know it's going to be disappointing. <laughs> uh, sorry, Mike. <laughs> All right. Uh, that is our show. Be sure to check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash critics pod. Listen to our bonus uh discussion of Nirvana's Nevermind that should be out here within the next week uh, and then the next month after that the Black Album by Metallica You only the Patreon supporters can hear that at least for now uh, we're live on YouTube so click on the bell to get notifications when we're live and if you follow us on our social media sites you will also uh, be able to get notified when we are live let's do a quick round of flick chart because uh, i got to get up in a few hours, as I'm sure you do as well. Uh, me, myself, and Irene are 10,000 BC. Me, myself, and Irene. Agreed. Ghostbusters 2, Minding the Gap. I've not seen Minding the Gap. Neither have I. Ghostbusters 2, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Where are you going on this? Because I don't hate Ghostbusters 2, but I don't love it. I'm not a big fan. I have a lot of nostalgia with Ghostbusters 2. However, I haven't seen Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. so Let's just go with Ghostbusters 2. All right. The Icebreaker, Bridesmaids. No, I've not seen Icebreaker. Neither have I. Looks Russian. <laughs> it does. Go, Bridesmaids. That's tough. I love both those movies. Um, gosh. Um... Bridesmaids is probably more consistently good. Go has some spots that are kind of iffy. Yeah. I'll call it recency bias. It's been 20 years since I saw one and 10 since I saw the other. Uh, a Man Called Oh, I'm, yeah, I've not seen that one either. That's a record this episode. <laughs> Fun with Dick and Jane and Sphere. Two movies. Uh, who gives a shit about Right. Fun with Dick and Jane's better than Sphere, I guess, but that's a pretty low bar. Yeah, I read Sphere and I loved it, but that was because I was a kid. Never watched <laughs> the movie. Zootopia, The Golden Compass. Zootopia, because it's shorter. Yeah. Ah, oh, fuck, I hit the wrong button. All right, we'll just start over. The Rookie, Master and Commander. Master and Commander. Absolutely. The Rookie was such a such a mediocre thing 
Oh shit. The thing, the cell. The thing. Absolutely. Feeding nope. the doves from 1896. <laughs> Somehow we've not seen that one. <laughs> Heavenly Puss. Have you seen that? <laughs> uh, Octopussy Syriana. They wanted to keep the puss uh, thing going. Syriana. Yeah. Lethal Weapon 2, The Color of Money. <sighs> Color of money for me. I go only the weapon too. <laughs> Let's see. God damn it. Oh, I won one. <laughs> I mean I know color money. I just the color money's fine. Yeah. I just don't think it's like groundbreakingly great. Bad Santa, the land before time. I'm not sure if I've seen The Land Before Time. Have you seen it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> has Bad Santa better? I couldn't even. I loved it as a kid. And I, Bad Santa? No. The Land Before Time. I, I mean, I liked Bad Santa a lot when it came out. I haven't really gone back and watched it. Uh, they're like polar opposite great. movies. I think Bad Santa li- nearly lives up to the reputation it has. but I'll go Land Before Time because it's sad. <laughs> At least it was when I was a kid. I don't remember it anymore. I, <laughs> I just remember it's kind of like Bambi said. Uh, yeah. Night Shift, Titus. Night Shift. Yeah. Titus should have been good, but it, it wasn't. Pitch Perfect, The Man with the Golden Gun. Picture Perfect. Picture Perfect. Sorry. Not James Bond. <laughs> yeah. Rear window, National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1. Rear window. Yeah, pretty easy. The Adjustment Bureau, Flags of Our Fathers. Flags of Our Fathers isn't a bad movie, but uh, The Adjustment Bureau is more fun. Oh, really? I, I go, I'll go. let you pick whichever one you want. Uh, I'm going to go Adjustment Bureau just because I, I would probably want... I'm never going to want... I never want to see Flags of Our Fathers again in my life as much as I might admire its craftsmanship. Yeah. Was it was the Justin Bureau the one Obama said sucked after Matt Damon insulted him as a president? Uh, anyway, the Dark Knight or Big Mama's house. <laughs> Dark Knight. Yeah. Paul, Dr. Seuss, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I love Paul. Paul is a great movie. Which is so fucking weird is it's the Shaun of the Dead guys without Edgar Wright. Who's probably right. a better filmmaker? Yet Paul's my favorite of all the <laughs> movies they did. Uh, Robin Hood, oh. Men in Tights, Saw Four. Saw Four. I love Robin Hood, Men in Tights, but Saw Four is awesome. Yeah, I start to go out after Saw Three, but I don't. I've never seen Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Final Destination, The Virgin Suicides. Virgin Suicides. Yeah, Arlington Road, Shaft. Arlington Road. Yes. Time Cop, Lord <laughs> of the Rings, The Two Towers. It's for all the wrong reasons because Time Cop is terrible, but I love watching Time Cop so much that I have to pick it. Yeah, I, just, I mean, that's. I just love watching it. 
I can't stop. If it's on, I will stop and watch Time Cop every time. <laughs> Watching Rod Silver accidentally touch himself and then like melt into like two people puddle on the ground is just so funny to me. Oh, I'm absolutely with you. It's just so funny. I have to reward it for being that entertaining, for being terrible. Yeah, and I just, one of the Kevin Smith movies I watched was Clerks 2. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is a perfect one to go out on. Time Cop wins over Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. There you go, Josh. Have a great night. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>